you don't perceive there's a conflict that though on one hand you're actively selecting soliciting investors for seed money but you did not feel obligated to tell the city that as the head of utilities that you had a company that falls directly under the purview of where you regulate that until they got money you didn't have to disclose this is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, the Smart Cities Project, which would have created a city-directed internet service to compete with existing providers like Cox and AT&T, is dead. And amid an ongoing investigation into the project, a top city official appeared under oath in front of the city council to answer questions about potential contract rigging and other conflicts of interest. That story, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. All right, Michael, last week, a top Cantrell administration official appeared before the city council to give sworn testimony about a now-canceled Smart Cities project that was plagued by allegations of insider dealing. To begin with, let's go back just a bit and describe the project and give us an update on where things are now. It's really complicated. Yeah, and you know, a quick note at the top uh, on where we are now. Um, we're sitting here on Thursday morning, um, right before the, the city council is getting ready to meet. And today they are considering uh, a motion to, to basically go forward and hire an attorney um, to start helping them sift through all this this detail to, to kind of advise them on, on where this goes next. So, so that that is a development that that we'll be watching today and we'll likely be um, reporting on you know before this podcast comes out. So yeah, so tracking where we are with this project, you know, it's kind of been a long road to get where we are now. But but you know, we can take it really all the way back to 2020 during the pandemic. Um, you know, there became pretty quickly this increased focus on internet access. You know, schools were going remote, a lot of jobs were going remote, um, and you know, it, it kind of highlighted an issue that has existed prior to the pandemic. But but the fact that a lot of people do not have internet subscriptions in their home. And obviously that became a much bigger problem during the pandemic. You know, at at that point, um, you know, the next really the public hears about this um, is is in early 2021 in April when the city comes out and announces that um, they have been working on a request for proposals, which is basically just the, the, the public bid process here for a sprawling program that that is broadly put under the umbrella smart cities. The way the plan is described at the beginning is that the the point of the project is to close what what is referred to as the digital divide. Those who have internet uh, subscriptions in their home and those who can't afford them. Um, And we're told that what this project is aiming to do is attract upwards of $50 million of, of infrastructure investment to provide internet services and to provide new smart city services and that this was all going to be cost neutral to the city. Um, so, you know, when you're receiving $50 million of investment and you're being told it's being done for free, um, that obviously kind of causes you to have some questions. So that's kind of when I started paying attention to it. A month after they released the RFP, they announced that the, the winner um, was this group called Smart and Connected NOLA, which is a consortium of businesses that's led by 
Qualcomm, which is a, a giant company in the world of, of wireless technology. Um, and, and, you know, the money side of it um, was really coming from an investment firm called JLC Infrastructure, which is probably best known for being co-founded by NBA legend Magic Johnson. But we'll get into this more. Uh, you know, at, at this point, um, JLC, Qualcomm, and, and a consultant that they're partnered with, Ignite Cities, had been in discussions with the city about this project for, for over a year um, and um, really helped craft the RFP um, that they eventually won. We'll get more of those allegations later, but, but that's kind of how we end up with this group, Smart and Connected NOLA. We reported later that year on, on you know, what the project was going to look like and, and kind of more importantly, the lack of details in the proposal about what this was actually going to be. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a 200 plus page proposal that is it would have made changes to how we run our street lights, our traffic lights, uh, how we get our Internet services. You know, one of the central things was creating a new private but city directed Internet service to compete with Cox and AT&T, which would have required a huge infrastructure build out. So again, we're talking about massive changes that that touch on so many different city services, departments, agencies um, that, it, you know, it was kind of hard to keep track of the whole thing at the beginning. But, you know, some things that stuck out to us from the start, really, when they when they suggested a, a cost neutral plan, what that really meant um, was that the city was going to have to pay a, you know millions of dollars a year for these services. However, um, through, you know, proposed cost savings and revenue share agreements, the city was going to hypothetically be able to save and create some, you know, enough revenue to cover all these costs. You had your eye on it. It was prompting questions from you and you were looking into it. The first other uh, tremor, I guess, would have been after the RFP or after the announcement of Smart and Connected NOLA as the winner, Cox cried foul. They, they said, hey, wait a second we think something is up with this and that then bumped it to yet another level of scrutiny is that is that correct absolutely and, and yes yeah, so there were kind of like two tracks that we were on at the time the first one was does this deal make any sense for the city of new orleans for the residents of new orleans um and, and there were some big questions about that and the second track like you're saying is was this contract awarded properly did the city follow its public bid laws were there attempts to skirt the public bid law? You know, on that first track on whether this made sense for the city, there were questions about resident privacy. There were questions about whether the technology would work. And there were big questions about whether the plan would have actually expanded internet access to people who can't afford them. I mean, you know, we, we, it's a 200 plus page proposal and th there really isn't anything built into it um, that would have offered any subsidized or free services um, to people who can't afford existing subscriptions. And then, you know, kind of the, the, the second big concern, um, which you had mentioned, um, was, was whether, uh, you know, th this contract was awarded properly and ethically and legally. Cox Communications had also submitted a proposal um, for this, this public bid and lost. They got in second place. And, and they submitted a formal protest with the city that basically accused the city of conspiring with you know, a pro bono consultant um, to rig this process in favor of smart and connected NOLA. 
Um, and, and their allegations really center on, on you know, th this consultant agency called Ignite Cities. Um, it's a Chicago-based firm um, founded by a man named George Bersiaga. And, you know, they basically helped the city formulate the, the public bid for this project. I mean, openly on the day that they announced the public bid, um, Jonathan Rhodes, um, the, the director of the mayor's office of utilities, who will become a, a central character in this, the day that he announced the public bid, he thanked Ignite Cities as a partner with the city for helping, you know, bring the project to fruition. Where this gets iffy is that Ignite Cities has a partnership, uh, a business partnership with Qualcomm and JLC, which are the two firms leading the smart and connected NOLA project. So the question posed by Cox was, hey, a formal partner of the, of the two firms that won this public bid actually helped write this public bid. Now, I'll note here that the city has, has since, you know, really tried to downplay the role that Ignite Cities played, um, you know, in this process. But, but also since then, we have received emails through a council subpoena that clearly show Ignite Cities' role in helping create this project, as well as its role in advocating for JLC and Qualcomm, helping JLC and Qualcomm pitch the city on projects. So, Again, you know, the, the Cox Communications protest really came down to, you know, whether the role that Ignite Cities played, which the city has described as a quote-unquote pro bono consultant, whether that was proper. It raised the question that we have been asking for months and months and months, which is, if Ignite Cities is a for-profit business, why was it offering free advice and free services to the city? And why wasn't the city not concerned about the very public partnership that Ignite Cities had with the two firms that were competing for this project? So that was kind of the first, you know, I'll say red flag that kind of occurred around this project that Cox brought up. And I think, I believe that was, we reported on it, you know, in November of last year. And what was the city's response to those initial complaints or flags being raised back in November? The city dismissed Cox's protest here. And, and, and their main argument was, we're not paying Ignite Cities. Uh, we have no formal contract or agreement with them. And we are not aware of any financial incentive that Ignite Cities has in this project. But again, you know, th there's a difference between really not knowing about something and, and kind of purposely closing your eyes to something. And, and, you know, I think in this situation, the question, you know, was raised, you know, th this consultant did a significant amount of work. And it, it, it seems odd that at no point um, would anyone ask, why are you helping us this much? And, and do you have any financial incentive here? I mean, it's unclear if anyone even asked at any point. Um, so again, the city dismissed this basically, you know, uh, right away um, and said, you know, this process went well. Um, but, you know, as we'll get into, that was not the end of the story. Okay, let me try to recap. Um, the pandemic brought, brought on in many cities around the country highlighted the digital divide that exists between people who have readily available access to the internet for things like school and work and whatnot. Um, we have a major gap in New Orleans. And so the city tried to address that or, or began to address that with this big project called Smart Cities. So the city dovetailed this project or tried to combine the digital divide project with Smart Cities technology, which was supposed to improve services and safety and all sorts of all sorts of technology which would improve the lives of 
citizens of New Orleans. So together, this became the Smart Cities project that was proposed by the Cantrell administration. One quick thing I'll add there is that, you know, we're going to get into kind of how the, the mayor and the city council are butting heads over this project. And, and one big reason is that, you know, as focus turned to the digital divide during the pandemic, the council and the mayor were actually, you know, part of a working group to try and solve this digital divide problem. And the council kind of felt like they were kind of kicked out of the process, um, after which the mayor kind of took over and, and they feel like they took what, what was originally an effort to get internet to those who can't afford it um, into this really different project that kind of drops the digital equity piece and started focusing on these, you know, revenue driving data collection um, pieces of it. And, and so I think as we get into the debate between the administration and the council, that's an important thing to keep in mind. That, okay. you know, some council members don't see this as a project that actually achieves any increase in digital equity. Okay. Okay. All right. So as they embarked on this project, the Smart Cities project, things started to appear not kosher with with the proposal. Behind the scenes, when the city was writing the RFP, they were getting some advice and help with it, with this organization that perhaps stood to benefit from the ultimate contract, which was ultimately awarded to them. Right. That's right. And yeah, I mean, so the story is very much still unfolding and, and you know, we have evidence and we have, you know, things that suggest that Ignite Cities had a clear financial interest in this in this project. Um, we also have emails that that, you know, clearly show Mr. Bursiaga's involvement in creating the RFP. Um, but we should be clear um, that that, you know, since kind of all of this has, has ramped up, the coverage has ramped up, the city has really been trying to downplay, you know, the role that Bursiaga played in writing the RFP and, and contributing to it. Um, and, and we also just want to make clear that that as of yet, we, we have some evidence of some financial connections between Ignite and this project. Um, however, the, the full picture is not is not clear as of now. Also, a, a really interesting part to me was this sort of dismissal of any kind of question from you, for example, on why would somebody like that just offer up their services and their time and travel to New Orleans and work so hard on something like this for nothing? Well, that, that is, you know, it's 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 not only a good question, but it is the theme to this entire story. I mean, time after time after time, we have noticed weird connections, um, you know, businesses brought in that, that have some connection to the project or, or some connection to Ignite Cities. And over and over and over again, we're told is that these people aren't being paid, that all of this is pro bono service and a check has not been cut yet. And it, it has been, to be frank, a little frustrating um, because the way that this this whole thing has been described, it seems like no one is interested in getting paid. And, and listen, we don't I'll stop there. But, you know, we're about to get into, you know, the, uh, another person in this, Jonathan Rhodes, and you'll see that that he, too, his central defense um, ha has been that that he was doing this pro bono out of the good of his heart. And, and right. so, again, it's just I, my experience in life has shown me that that things don't generally come for free. And, and this just seems, you know, over and over when we get answers from the city, it just seems like they have this incredible ability to attract free work. Um, so, you know, again, it just raises questions. Right. Your reporting got the attention of the council, in particular, Helena Moreno. And they started to question 
some of the events that were unfolding around this giant proposal. Catch us up on what happened next. Yeah. So, you know, when we first reported on this in late 2021, it did catch the attention of Councilman Helena Moreno, who was concerned about, you know, the, the money to this, you know, how much money the city would owe, the, the privacy aspects of this, um, whether, you know, this was actually a, a digital equity plan. Um, but I think it kind of sat in the background because the plan, it, this is kind of wonky, but an important part here is that the, the, the proposal as originally pitched requires a multi-year contract with the city. Um, now, multi-year contracts need to be approved by the city council. Um, Single-year contracts, the, the mayor can just go ahead and sign without explicit council approval. So the reason why the council started paying attention is because they were going to have to get involved at some point. However, you know, when we were reporting on this in November you know, of 2021, no one had really seen a draft of this yet. So I think the attitude on the council, you know, even with, with Helena Moreno, was we have some questions, but at some point they're going to have to bring us the full contract and ask us to pass this. So, you know, we'll just kind of sit tight and wait for them to, to explain all this stuff because right. nothing will move forward without our say so anyway. Um, I think that attitude changed um, earlier this year um, uh, when the mayor kind of held these events um, called Wi-Fi for All, which was basically going around the city and, and, and pitching residents on this project. And, and it was kind of a celebrity event. You know, we, we've mentioned Magic Johnson's involvement on this. He was coming down to help sell this project. And, um, you know, I, I decided to go to the events because, again, it was called Wi-Fi for All. And one of my biggest questions from the beginning was, how is this going to expand Wi-Fi access? Um, so I attend these meetings um, and there is not much specific information. There are, are broad platitudes about digital equity. There is a lot of celebratory talk about, you know, how, how JLC is, is, was co-founded by two black men, um, bringing this kind of massive business into a majority black city with a black mayor. So it was a very celebratory scene, um, but you couldn't help but notice the lack of details that were being given. And the other thing you couldn't notice was that there was clear subtext throughout both of these meetings which was basically that the city council needed to get on board. You know, it kind of pitched the city council as an obstacle to, to achieving this, this, you know, very amazing pro project that had these huge promises. You know, I think council members kind of maybe took it a little personally because, you know, you have this celebrity coming to town. You have an a NBA legend telling the city council to get on board. Meanwhile, the city council has never seen a draft contract. They don't know what this project would be. And I think that there were, again, some frustration that they were being pressured to support something they hadn't even seen yet. Listen, there's no magic without the mayor. There's no magic without the city council. There's no magic without the people saying, hey, this is what we want. This is what we deserve. And it's our job to bring that to the people. So um, it won't be any magic until everybody's connected. Lens is obviously not you know, uh, accusing any individual of impropriety itself. Um, and, and, and so far throughout this entire thing, we have not seen anything or heard any allegations to suggest that Magic Johnson was, you know, specifically involved in, in any of these processes. Um, you know, it is his company. And, and so the involvement of the company in, involves Mr. Johnson. Again, this is still unfolding. I think that the details of who exactly did what, who exactly knew what, um, are just things we don't know yet. Um, but but absolutely, we're not implying uh, Magic Johnson specifically, um, you know, uh, attempting to do anything untoward. Right. Okay. So there's this push now with these press conferences and 
um, the, the, the implication is basically city council, get on board. Uh, otherwise, you're preventing 40 or 50 percent, 60 percent of the of the city from getting free Internet access or subsidized Internet access with no real details on exactly how that will happen. Yeah, I think the pressure that the Cantrell administration was putting on the council, it, you know, that is what led to a pretty forceful response from the council, which was to subpoena the administration for information um, about the project. So, you know, uh, the, the council ended up sending the subpoena for a wide range of documents, um, as well as, you know, at, uh, directing Jonathan Rhodes, who, who was kind of leading up this project, to come testify under oath in front of the council. So that's when this thing really starts ramping up. Again, the council is responding to pressure and, and these very open questions, uh, not only on the project, but, but on the ethics of how the contract was awarded. So, you know, again, the subpoena for me is kind of the moment that this starts to, to get a little more intense. Okay. And relations between the council and the mayor have already been a bit tense. They had already enacted some power over the administration's ability to hire. Uh, they've already been at odds on, in some ways. So we're getting into an area where um, these two bodies are visibly antagonistic towards one another in, in some areas. So it's, it's get, it got to be pretty tense. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the context here is important. The council and the mayor, you know, have certainly, you know, kind of been, been pushing back and forth. You know, the council is, is really trying to assert its authority. The Cantrell administration is accusing the council of a power grab. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this kind of fits, you know, into that broader theme of the council saying, you know, just because you tell us to, to approve this project you've been working on, you know, we're not going to do it if you're keeping us in the dark, if you aren't fully explaining um, and, and, and fully alleviating concerns about these ethics problems, you know, we're not just going to uh, do what you say. So, yeah, I think that is an absolutely important piece of context. This isn't happening in a vacuum. Right. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guest this week is government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen, and I cover education here at The Lens. If you've been a longtime reader of The Lens, you probably know we are a place to learn about important issues, especially those underrepresented by other media sources. It's hard work, and it takes a dedicated staff who care about this community. Please make a tax-deductible contribution today to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org slash donate. Thank you. Now, we go all the way to subpoenas being issued, investigations being launched into what happened. So what's the status now? And tie in now this character, Jonathan Rhodes. And Jonathan Rhodes appeared in front of the council last week. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so the lead up to, to Jonathan Rhodes hearing, you know, two things happened. The, fir the first thing is that we received this big set of documents um, from the city in, in response to that council subpoena. Um, and, and those told us a lot. I mean, you know, I won't get into the details here, but it really um, showed the, the depth of the relationship between Ignite Cities and the city and, and just how closely they were working with the city on this project and, and how much input they had. So we've written about these documents that, you know, I, I would advise you to go read them because um, they're, they're important. But the, the other big thing that happened leading up to the, to the Rhodes hearing was that we found out that Rhodes himself had some potential conflicts of interest. And, and, and this is where, again, you know, 
this kind of intensifies even further. So Jonathan Rhodes, he is the director of the, the mayor's office of utilities. He, from the beginning, has kind of emails show us has been kind of the quarterback of this project. He has been the one connecting people, um, you know, really, you know, driving the high level, what the project was going to look like. Um, and he worked very, very closely with George Barciaga um, at, at Ignite Cities. Now, what we find out uh, is that Jonathan Rhodes himself is running two side businesses um, that, that relate directly to the smart cities industry, and that Rhodes, through one of these businesses, had actually consulted um, for Qualcomm, one of the businesses that ended up winning this RFP. Um, so that was kind of a, a bombshell moment um, that kind of, again, brought this to a new level. I think at that point, the main theory among some people was that, you know, maybe the city had just kind of not done their due diligence here, hadn't checked out these connections with Ignite Cities and just kind of, um, you know, maybe was duped by this company. And, and, and now this kind of adds a new dimension to it to, okay, there was a city employee that also had conflicts of interest. So now the city has some, you know, culpability attached to it potentially. So, you know, we still don't know all these details yet, um, but it, it just brings it to a new level. And, and I won't get into all the details here, but, you know, I, I, one detail that's important, you know, one of these side businesses was a broadband company um, that, that would provide internet services basically in the exact same format um, that's proposed um, in the smart and connected NOLA proposal. He founded it in 2020 while he was working for the city and while he was working on the smart cities project, um, he co-founded the company called Verge Internet. He co-founded it with another city employee uh, named Christopher Wolf, who was also working on the smart cities project and who was intimately involved, not only in drafting it, but he, he sat on the selection committee that chose smart and smart and connected NOLA as the winner of this public bid. Wow. Um, so, you know, again, that kind of ramped up the questions, which, you know, really set the stage for, for this hearing. What was the tenor of the hearing and how did he defend himself? So it, it was, in, it was, you know, we're talking about, you know, three to four hours of questioning here. Um, a lot of it had the tenor of kind of like a courtroom. Um, you know, they, they, they had Jonathan under oath. Um, so I think they took that opportunity to, to set a lot of basic facts. Um, you know, we have a lot of lawyers on the city council right now. So they were kind of questioning him in that very legalistic way where, you know, you, you don't take any fact for granted. So a lot of it was kind of more boring, basic, you know, stuff. But, you know, I think what they really hit on, we talked earlier about the city's defense for Ignite Cities, which which was that they weren't aware of any, you know, financial incentive um, that that Ignite Cities had. And, and, and we kind of see that same, that, that same justification rolled out by Jonathan Rhodes. Basically, what he argues is that he has never made any money off of this company, this Verge Internet company, and that the consulting he did for Qualcomm was done pro bono. So he never made money doing that either. Now, the Lens had, had published a pitch deck um, that, that Verge Internet was sending out to potential investors. So we know that they were actively seeking investment. I mean, millions and millions of dollars in investment. And, and at some point had even claimed that they had hundreds of thousands of dollars already committed to the project. So, you know, I think the council kind of questioned, you know, you know, I think they were implying it was a little disingenuous to say that he never made money off of this project when he was clearly trying to, you know, I, I think it was, you know, Councilman JP Morrell said that 
the fact that you didn't make money, it wasn't for lack of trying, you know? And, and, and so I guess, you know, they questioned whether it was a, a, a reasonable def defense to say I was unable to make any money, even though I was trying and therefore there was no conflict of interest. Or he's um, playing the long game. It's just, a, it's, this is the big, this is a multi-year investment, which could show a huge return in five years, 10 years after you work really hard at this. And I, I do want to make a few important things clear. The, the first thing is that Verge Internet, this company, was not officially part of the Smart and Connected NOLA Consortium. We have no evidence at all that it would have been involved in the New Orleans project. Um, the number two important thing to note is that Jonathan Rhodes himself claimed that nothing he did, that, that everything he did was, was you know, out of this desire to solve this digital equity problem, um, that he wasn't doing anything you know, for money, for the promise of money, even with a vague notion that what he was doing would lead to, to money in the future. So that is what Mr. Rhodes is claiming, and we should be very clear about that. The question is whether the council buys that. And, and you know, I, I think that the meeting um, helped us answer some questions. It, it, it kind of left others open. You know, I mean, one thing that Jonathan Rhodes admitted during the, this hearing was that he's still interested in making Verge Internet a, a profitable company and is still interested in capital investment, even as of now. So I don't think his answers fully satisfied the council. Um, and I think that one piece of evidence for that is that now they are considering hiring an attorney to help them sift through all this and, and, and help them go from here. I mean, they have also passed a resolution after the hearing uh, that, that asked the, the city's in Office of Inspector General to start looking into this. Um, and again, I don't know everything that the council is thinking, but I don't think that the, the, the roads hearing left them satisfied. So I think that there's going to be additional questions, additional requests for documentation. Um, and, and I think this investigation is, is um, far from over. So, but the Smart Cities project is now just officially dead. It's, it's over. Yeah, the, the consortium, the Smart and Connected NOLA consortium announced, you know, that they were pulling out of the project. You know, they, they referenced kind of the, the, the climate around this project at this point and how it wasn't really tenable for them at this point. So the exact proposal with Smart and Connected NOLA does appear to be dead. Um, the question is now, you know, whether the city is going to rebid this out, whether it will look the same, whether mm. it will look different. So, I mean... At least for now, the project is not moving forward, which which was, you know, um, a big concern to the council. So at, at least that they're kind of able to do this investigation without kind of being under the gun of, of you know, this project is going to go forward. The only other important thing I'll mention is, is that I discussed the fact that the council really needed to approve this multi-year agreement. Now, what was really rent, what was making the council nervous and one reason they kind of ramped up this investigation is that the Cantrell administration announced that they were at least initially going to bypass a multi-year agreement um, by signing a one-year one agreement, which did not need council approval. Right. And now they said, you know, this will jumpstart the project. It'll give us time to keep negotiating and convincing the council. Um, but city council members really, you know, they were, they, they were clear that they saw this as a way to circumvent the council's authority over multi-year agreements. They said there's no way that this project doesn't eventually need a multi-year agreement and starting it without our approval and then putting us in a position to cut the project off after we've spent all this money um, is really getting around, you know, the, the, the meaning, the, the purpose of the council's approval authority. So I think that that kind of 
ramped up the council's sense of urgency. Mm. But, but again, now that this consortium is pulled out, I think some of that, you know, has kind of subsided. Um, right. So what's the mayor saying right now? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the mayor has um, expressed disappointment that, that the project is not going forward. Um, you know, it's something that, that she had talked about in pretty highly. Um, you know, we haven't heard that much from the administration since the hearing. I think that they're still interested in the Smart Cities project and, and, and have said, you know, but, you know, issued their intention to, to kind of keep pushing on that. Um, but but as of now, I, I think that, you know, their main line is nothing unethical was done. You know, this would have been a great project if, if the city council would have gotten on board. Um, but, you know, we'll try again. I think that that, that remains kind of their, their central line. There are so many details about this right now, so many pieces to it. You know, you can find all that detail in our reporting. Um, in our written stories, you know, I, I would highly suggest if you're interested in this or anything we said was on Twitter to go check those out or even just email me um, and ask. But um, yeah, again, we'll, we'll stay on it. It's a story we've been on from, you know, kind of the start. And uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Michael, what a great story. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, government and cultural economy reporter, Michael Isaacstein. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.